This is a 3CR podcast. And this is Published or Not. Intersecting lives and intersecting cultures are at the heart of Anna Crean's novel, Act of Grace. So, Anna, welcome to 3CR. Thanks for having me. Look, I think we should begin by defining what that term means, an act Mm. of grace. Yeah, so the term... uh About five or six years ago, I interviewed a whole bunch of veterans who'd returned from Iraq and Afghanistan, and one of the veterans told me about um, an act of grace. And basically, it's a compensation payment made by the Australian government uh, to an Iraqi civilian or Iraqi family who've unintentionally been hurt or harmed or killed by Australian military. And in fact, that leads off this story because you have two That's right. And he's basically got post-traumatic stress disorder. Yes. Interestingly enough, he's picking shrapnel out of his body uh, over the years. But he's inadvertently, shall we say, killed? Yes, yeah, unintentionally, yeah. And this then has traumatised him. Mm. That's the reason for the act of grace. Um, But what's interesting then is then to his life back in Australia. He's gone from a chaotic environment. Mm. And where does he end up? Well, I mean, I don't think when, when um, it's often said that when you're in a war, it's, it's hard to ever leave a war, even if it, even in peacetime, in the sense that the adrenaline is always surging through you. Um, you're always in this hyper vigilant state. Uh, so Tui returns to his young son and his wife um, and brings that hyper vigilant state with him. And, yeah, they end up pinballing across the bottom of Australia trying to um, find an opportunity for him to settle. But he works in a chicken farm. It's one yeah, of the jobs briefly, he does work in a chicken farm. But I find the paralleling, in mm. some ways, of the chaos in Iraq, and I think there's an equivalent sort of chaos in the chicken In a farm. chicken farm. Well, yeah, if you ever view a, a flock of chickens, um, they're actually quite unnervingly chaotic and it can actually... Um, they can grate on your nerves, I think. Um, but the slaughter. The slaughter of them, that's right. And then there's a mouse plague as well. That's right. So he's in an environment he can't control again. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also that sense of... Uh, I do really, really... I often think of the George Patil quote, um, in the eyes of the butcher, the horse is already dead. Um, and, you know, when you go to a slaughterhouse, there's this... You have to understand that um, the butchers probably don't already think of those creatures that are alive. And then to draw that, draw that parallel with a war, that is basically... An well, it's in- a rather prescient analogy given the current uh, horse season that we've got. Coming. Oh, yes, indeed. <laughs> but we then meet Robbie. So you've now got a whole range of characters. We leave Tui's story, we meet Robbie Mm. and her background and heritage are interesting. Yeah, well, they're quite mysterious, her heritage. Her father um, turns out to be um, of the stolen generation, but um, you know, so but he can never, he never, he can't claim that because he doesn't have that culture. So he's kind of, he's one of those in between people who can't be white and can't be indigenous. And he works in a very privileged. He's a, yeah, that's right. He's a, um, he's the, uh, the janitor at a, at a private school. And, um, 
you know, finds himself living in a time where it's increasingly fashionable to claim one's um, heritage, be it convict or Indigenous heritage, and it's pressed upon him by one of the teachers that he should claim his Indigenous heritage, um, to the point that he finds uh, books about finding his inner totem animal and all those kind of things left in his locker. But what does this, well, it's a religious instruction teacher, Mm. do for the children? And how might we consider that actually not an act of grace, so to speak? Yeah, so, I mean, there's that sense of... um what what does charity do? Um, is it actually for the person who needs help or is it to make someone feel good in giving? So she thinks of herself as a very charitable, generous woman, um, but ultimately disrespects uh, um, Robbie, her brother and her father and, and triggers off a real fear, um, just showing how precarious their position in society is. Which is interesting then because we're now starting to get a connection of an idea going through these uh, parallel stories, these parallel lives, Mm. they do intersect in other ways as well. You have Nassim, who's an Iraqi from a cultured background, Mm. pianist. Yeah. And she, in fact, does uh, meet Robbie eventually, Mm. but she's had to, well, her... Descend, descent mm. into chaos. Yeah, well, she's had to survive, and that means she's had to do things that are, are, are highly unpleasant, um, potentially complicit and criminal. Um, and I guess, I guess, I mean, I'm, you never really think of these things when you're writing them. But I guess, sort of, to scrutinise the characters in in uh, with the gift of hindsight, I guess she's a way of showing that you can't. You can't have these binary discussions about people that refugees are innocent, therefore they have to be saved, or refugees are um, potentially bad, so therefore they shouldn't be saved. I mean, refugees are human, and in order to survive, you have sometimes done unlikable things. Well, unlikable, and a lot of her predicament is brought about by outside forces. That's right. etc. But here's what's interesting then, because you do, in fact, have Robbie and Nassim meeting, mm. and um, uh, Nassim has been wearing a niqab, which is the full covering, mm. and in fact, Robbie tries wearing it as an Indigenous woman who suffered mm. racism. But there's an interesting sort of parallel. Yeah. There. I mean, it's funny when you look, when you do scrutinise the, the text and looking back on it, you go, oh, yeah, there's a lot of things going on here, but I really was just writing in the moment, but... Uh, Robbie is um, quite a bolshy, brave, naive, young artist um, and she's into doing edgy projects and one of her edgy projects is to put on the abaya, which uh, Nassim wears because she wants to experience racism how Nassim might experience it. Um, Nassim tells her that she will never be able to understand racism as she feels it. Um, but Robbie attempts it nevertheless uh, and it's, and to a certain extent, she does get a sense of how one can be treated wearing those kind of things. But ultimately, comes agrees with Nassim that you can never, yeah. you can never put on another person's skin. But also that, that well, that notion of skin then, because mm. Robbie has already, she's already yeah racism. But it's different. It's we're getting shades mm. of, of difference in in the way. They are persecuted. Mm. Um, But also then, uh, Robbie's association with uh, the Aboriginal community, she does an art project in Central Australia. Mm. But there's, 
extreme violence uh, when there's the uh, destruction of an annihilation of the camp dogs. Mm. And again, here we have a parallel. We've had the violence in Iraq. We've had the violence in uh, to his life in the, in the chicken farm. Violence because the men are standing around treating it as a joke and the cringing, mm. crying dogs and and mm. also those that suffer because they owned the dogs. Mm. Violence exists everywhere. Yes, it, it does sound like a compellingly dark book, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I promise there are moments of lightness and humour in there. But you highlight then that really these sorts of behaviours are not just separated into first world and third world, no. but can be experienced everywhere. Yeah, and I guess in a way I guess that's why my characters traverse territory beyond Australia. Um, so there's chapters set in Baghdad and Syria and in North Dakota and America. And I, I guess that's sort of a way of exploring how our lives have consequences beyond borders now. Like we're now officially a global people. Um, and our actions have consequences, and they might not be consequences down the road. They might be across oceans. Well, you've, you've mentioned uh, overseas as well, and um, Jerry, who's Tui's son, is caught up in a demonstration. That's right, in yeah. America, mm. And we get the violence there as well. Mm. I actually really, um, I really like Jerry's journey because he sort of, he's, He's come out from under the shadow of his his father, but he's also he hooks up with this trio in America who are radical, and they force him to think differently. And he has to shake out his, basically crack his head open and and question everything he's ever learnt at school. And it's it was fun actually writing that. Learnt at school, learnt because his father uh, is suffering from post traumatic stress, and and so this this ripple effect that mm. goes through. And how do individuals come through? Because Robbie comes through mm. um, and, and it's very uplifting. She has a child in the end and such like. Mm. So there is a, as you say, a positive thread yeah. there as well. Yeah. But you're, you're highlighting how close we are to um, the edge culturally mm. in the decisions we make, in the actions taken Yeah. and how in many ways first world countries are not that far from, you know, dropping over the edge in some Yeah, ways. well, I guess so. I guess it's always important to remember what, how, how quickly things can fall. But it seems as if, you know, we think, well, the, the motto of the school um, was Anuit Coeptis, which I found mm. quite interesting. Providence favours um, our undertaking. Now, that's on the back of the American banknote. Were you perhaps suggesting something there? <laughs> What was I suggesting? I guess I was sort of playing on, I guess, what um, is sort of seems to be the motto of uh, the Morrison government in the sense that um, this idea of, of religion is or this idea of morality is if you put in, you'll get something. Um, and this idea, as opposed to if I think true Christianity, I don't think Jesus would necessarily be that kind of guy but this new version of christianity is um well if you're a bludger we're going to walk past you um or you've brought this on yourself and i guess that's kind of a i guess i did use that latin motto for a private school because 
Of course, of course it's but, going to favour them. But the privilege them. Yeah. is there already yeah. and therefore the expectation is there that we mm. can do whatever we like. Mm. And societies are taking that attitude mm. as well. Very much so. And yet... Becoming very punitive. The yeah. undercurrent is the violence that we sort of think is only happening in Iraq or Syria mm. uh, is over there. But yeah. it's, it's within our own communities. Yeah, and there's a violence in not in the unsaid. Mm. There's, there's all different types of violence. So lastly then, we've got a minute or two, the structure of mm. this novel and the intersection of these lives. We're not necessarily following one individual all the way through or one narrative. No, there's sort of four different characters and four narratives. And I think seemingly for the first four chapters, they're quite standalone and they could be perceived almost as short stories. And then they start to cross into each other's lives. And um, again, that wasn't something I'd planned. It was sort of accidental. Characters kept turning up in the wrong story. And then I realised that they, you know, those kind of things can happen in the real world. Consequences can trickle, have a trickle down effect. Which makes, in fact, for interesting reading because you wonder then what these connections mm. are and what will be revealed. Mm. And there are, in fact, connections between Tui, Nassim, therefore Nassim, Robbie, Tui, Jerry, which is yep. okay, father-son, but yep. they all... Inter- Even Robbie and Jerry have a brief, very brief moment together. Yes, yeah, so yep. finding that connection is interesting when it, when it yeah. occurs. And I guess all those interactions are kind of acts of grace in themselves and questionable acts of grace. In terms of what we can do for each other whenever we meet yeah. inadvertently. That's right. So what is the true act of grace? A, a payment because money fixes all mm. or the charity and kindness we show to each other. That's right. Yeah. So that's mm. sort of an interesting look at the, the intersection of lives and uh, the characters there. So I've been interviewing Anna Crean. That's your first My novel? first novel, yeah. Yes, you've had essays and other That's things right. printed previously. That's right. But this is your first novel and therefore an interesting look at the novel form mm. in many ways, which would be interesting. Act of Grace, Anna Crean, and it's from Black Ink Books. So Anna, right. thank you for coming in today. Thank you so much, David. Thank Pleasure. you. Well, David, have you read James Joyce's novel, A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man? Oh, to be sure I have. I thought you might have. Its main character tells about growing up and finally as a young artist setting off into the world to pursue his art. Well, today I've got author Ender Bashkin and he's told his story in A Portrait of Alice as a Young Man. Welcome, Ender. Thanks, Jan. And it's the first time Ender and Anna have been here into 3CR. Now, Ender is the main character, but it's not about becoming an artist that you want to pursue. What is it? I don't know. I think it's a a writer (laughs) rather than getting out those paints. So let's get back to a bit of a knowledge of you. You're an Australian, but culturally linked to another country. Yes, uh, my parents were born in Turkey. They came out here as teenagers in the late 60s, early 70s. I was born in the middle of the 80s here in Melbourne. Um, And I grew up uh, in Tullamarine and in the northern suburbs of Melbourne. And You've been back to Turkey? Yeah, as a kid we never went back um, for one reason or another. Uh, When I hit my 20s I went back with... My mum first, and then I went back 
in my late 20s and that was a kind of turning point for me, a pivotal event. Did it feel like home? Uh, in some ways, yes. In some ways, in some ways, no. Um, people were talking Turkish on the streets and I could blend into a crowd and just yeah. listen to people speaking that secret language that I had as a child. Well, you have uncles and aunts and cousins all living here in Melbourne. Have any of them travelled extensively? Um, regularly going back to Turkey, Turkey and probably... What about within Australia? Uh, not so much. I think, you know, we would, as kids, we'd um, go camping, you know, together as families or take the caravan. But I think what you're getting at, Jan, is, is that... The red um, dirt. Yes, we... That decision to... Just get in a car and drive up into the desert. Mm -hmm. So it's you and whom? It's me. Uh, it's my partner, Sophie. It's my very good friend, Gabriel. Right. And our, uh, Sophie and my oh. unborn child. Let's, let, let's hear from page two. This okay. is um, Ender Bashkin. We're writing about Sophie. She carries our unborn child six months in utero. Sitting for hours on end, her body aches, yet I see in her a calm. She is at peace when she is travelling, that is to say, she is most herself. As we shoot north, the freckles across her nose and cheeks emerge from southern winter hibernation. <laughs> That's lovely. I like that. Um, so, the three of you get to Cooper Pedy, and I'm going to quote a, just a, one short sentence. Mm -hmm. Cooper Pedy, sunset on a mound of rejected earth. Mm -hmm. I think that sums it up. You, you weren't that impressed with Cooper Pedy. And then on to Uluru. And this was before the climbing ban. Yeah. And you felt very strongly about just how wrong it was. Yes. Uh, so this was uh, before the announcement that the climb would mm. close down. Uh, and I'd had a lot of friends, um, people in my community, talking about the climb. I think it had become more of a political kind of hot potato um, by that point. And... I got to experience it firsthand. I tried not to be too judgmental. I tried to be open-minded. What I saw wasn't particularly pretty, but I tried to kind of mm. um, wrap my head around it. Another quote from uh, A Portrait of Alice as a Young Man is, the journey had the effect of tenderising our hearts and minds. So why was Alice Springs your chosen final de de destination? Uh, Actually, Gabriel and I applied for a writing slash artist residency there. We didn't end up um, getting into that residency, but we thought we'd we'd done all this planning, so we thought we'd go anyway. Um, and as it turns out, one of the places um, where artists can stay uh, in Alice Springs was a hut about 15 kilometres outside of town, and that was free. So we ended up getting to stay there anyway. It wasn't free of dust or free of vermin or free of <laughs> other people's left belongings. <laughs> no, no. But it was, you know, well-worn. Yeah, well-worn, yes. So Alice seemed full of people that mm -hmm. you actually knew from Melbourne. Yes. So what were they doing there? I think there's a, um, a lot of, uh, especially young people who, you know, might have just come out of university or... Um, looking for a bit of adventure or to go, you know, someplace which they've perhaps heard a lot about. Um, but lots of, you know, young health professionals, people who work in various government industries um, who spend, you know, so it's quite transient in a way. Yeah. Well, uh, what about the locals? Did you meet any of them? We met, we met a lot of locals. Um, Alice Springs is 
uh, quite a small place. You know, when the weather reports on on TV, it looks like just another city, but it's only about twenty or twenty five thousand people, probably as big as you know Collingwood, maybe. Um, so we bumped into a, we met a lot of locals. There were a lot of good conversations, some near misses. Um, yeah. There was a neighbours, John and Marley, and you know you learned a lot from John. Mm-hmm. What was his? What, what did he do there? Um, so John was uh, the property where the hut is. John actually lives on that property with his family, um, and he came over and kind of welcomed us, and we had a chat, and it was lovely to have this encounter outside of busy Melbourne, where you can just carry on this conversation and this welcome. And he took us around. Um, and, and he, he taught the young people about the local ge- geography and you know, mm-hmm. sort of luckily you learnt also yeah. with, with it. Yeah. And uh, look, there was one chap that you met in the laundromat. Mm-hmm. I love that story. He didn't have enough money for his washing, so you gave it to him. But why did he have to wash his clothes? He was going to – he's making a trip. He's actually quite a well-known artist in Alice Springs and he was going to Sydney because he's – paintings were being projected onto the Sydney Opera House. Um, <laughs> it's just that yeah. <laughs> discrepancy, I suppose. Yeah. Look, Alice Springs seems to be a party town. There's lots of mention of music, sports and even mm-hmm. fireworks. Mm-hmm. So how did you pursue your writing? And, and actually, you describe how you do it from page 80. Could you read that for us, please? Sure, I will. We walk into the library. I feel good in here. It's not solemn or dusty, not an over-the-top asymmetrical breakout space, but a lively and central part of Alice's life. We find desks near PowerPoints and stay until we are starving. I don't know what I'm writing about yet, but writing is a way to, to process. Writing is the process. It sets me on my way. It's a yacht for the mind. Yacht for the mind. I thought that was pretty darn good. And David's over there nodding his head. I think he liked that one too. But you had to leave Alice in a hurry because your life was going to change. That's correct. (laughs) How do you think Alice helped shape the the young man? Um, Well, I think as a writer, uh, at least the way that I encounter uh, it's it's a way for me. It's a yacht. For, it's a way for me to understand the world that I'm in, and I wonder what I'm doing here. Uh, and this is connected to my kind of migrant uh, journey, my family's journey. Um, and so Alice was a um, a perspective on Australia which I hadn't had before, um, and it shook things up, um, and it made me not take certain things for granted. Made me realise that. We're on um, stolen land, we're on Aboriginal land, and we're on Aboriginal land, whether we're in Alice Springs or whether we're in um, Fitzroy or or Brunswick or wherever. Um, And I think uh, there's a moment in the book where that kind of came down on me like a ton of bricks. Mm. Yeah. The other things on a lighter perspective, becoming a a father, Mm -hmm. I I love the different behavioural ways you looked at how children were treated in the swimming pool (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's right um knowing that i was becoming a father um that nine months i was kind of keenly studying the environment around me i didn't read uh many parenting books if any um but i did observe um lots of other parents and the kids in the pool some of them were 
um, you know, budding champions and their parents oh, yes. were very um, enthusiastic. <laughs> Other ones were a bit more of the, um, you know, a bit more laissez-faire. Oh, it- Making it fun. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Look, there's the word, lots yeah. of music references through the book, but thankfully the one that became your earworm was one that I knew, mm-hmm. and that was My Island Home by mm-hmm. Christina Aranew. And I laughed about that Indigenous kids on the bus and what they were group singing mm-hmm. constantly. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Um, well, uh, Mally, who um, we became friends with there, she... I think was traveling on the, she was a teacher and traveling on the bus with kids and the kids would request all kinds of songs. And one day, I think on the radio, the song, um, Smokey's, uh, uh, living next door to Alice, a kind of classic from the seventies came on and, um, it caught, it kind of caught fire and all these teenage kids were all of a sudden, um, you know, chanting and singing for, you know, after this song. And apparently, you know, Smokey is a huge celebrity or the Smokey band is, is quite popular in Alice and they're touring as we speak, I believe, really cashing in and giving... I'm living next door to Alice. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Look, through the book, there's the importance of language. You talk about being bilingual in mm-hmm. Turkish and in English mm-hmm. and how you, because of this, you were able to pick up a lot of the First Nations languages. Mm-hmm. Arenti, is that? Arenda, yeah. Arenti. Yeah. And how you it, it was really lovely to read some of your mm-hmm. descriptions of the language mm-hmm. that was really good but what i i'm getting back to english and turkish mm-hmm. yogurt is a turkish word not a greek word no that's correct oh <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's it's all of ours now yeah oh, absolutely <laughs> and a lovely um Summing up, as you did at the beginning, about millennials, you know, and, mm-hmm. and just how they see the country now and how, well, it, quote, the spirit of the country is shrunk. Mm-hmm. I think that's very, very mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Enda Bashkin, you've self-published this book and thankfully you did it with a, a friend and editor, Gabriel Curtin, and Gabe was one of the people in the car and he did that's a right. very good job of editing this. You know, Thank quite you. often with, with um, self-published books we think, ooh, get an editor. Mm-hmm. But this one, very clear, very concise. Good job. Thanks, Gabe. <laughs> um, so really, it, it was interesting, David, how we had two books today that sort of covered similar topics. They did cover similar topics. And what was interesting, and unfortunately, Anna's had to leave, but there was a project at Ayers Rock, and the issue of climbing the rock also Uluru, comes up yeah. in um, Uluru, yeah. minus that, um, in Anna's book. But also, those that have taken stones oh. from the rock have... Some of them have returned them. And there's this... Um, do, are you aware of this? I'm not aware of that, David. Ah, no. So I didn't have a chance to ask Anna about that. But these stones are being returned. But it does pose a problem. Because what part of the rock are they from? Oh, so there then becomes part of that uh, Indigenous culture of um, male and female and who's appropriate. Mm. But that notion uh, and awareness has gone global. Mm. And so... Little pieces of Uluru are being returned from Germany, Britain and other places, which is fascinating. Wow. Wow. Sort of, 
tourism is maybe losing out, but postage is winning. Postage, postage. is winning, but the change of attitude, uh, social attitude, yeah. has been fascinating. Well, Ender Bashkin, he's written a book, A Portrait of Alice as a Young Man, a book about travelling, working with words, and finding a confidence within yourself. Well done. So I hope we're going to hear something more from you. Act of Grace was the name of the novel, Anna Crean, and it was from Black Ink Books. Thanks, Jan. This is a 3CR podcast. And this is Published or Not. You've just been listening to Published or Not on 3CR.